The scripture reading this morning is taken from Nehemiah chapter 1 verses 1 to 11. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakalia, in the month of Kislev in the 20th year while I was in a citadel of Susa. Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, "Those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire." When I heard these things, I sat down. And wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of Heaven. Then I said, "Lord, the God of Heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps His covenant of love with those who love Him and keep His commandments, let Your ear be attentive and Your eyes open to hear the prayer. Your servant is praying before You day and night for Your servants, the people of Israel." I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, "If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations." But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them for there, from there, and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeem by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord. Let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant, and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. This is grant your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. I was cup bearer to the king. This is the word of God. This morning we are very glad to have Pastor Fingson Wong Liing to preach to us. Thank you for reading the scriptures. Now,、um, one day there is a man arrive at the old abandoned house. Now he want to see which part of this house、uh, still can be fits. So when he came to the house, he came to the courtyard of this house, and and the thing shocks him most. He saw a lot of arrows on the wooden walls in this courtyard. Now what what even shocks him was that those arrows were rightly on the mark. Right in the bullseye, so he thought to himself, "Well, where on earth is this great archery?" So not soon later, he heard、um, the, the sound of shooting arrow from the other side of the courtyard. So he quickly got into the other side of the courtyard, and he saw a boy was shooting his arrow. So he raised his bow and pulled his arrow and shoot everywhere on this wooden wall, and then. He pick up this red and white paint and paint on this、uh, on this wooden wall and try to make his arrows just right on the mark, right on the bullseye. So, my friends, is this how the church 
carries out the missions and ministries. We feel like we are actually doing something, but at the end of the day, we feel like we don't seem to do, and we have no idea what we are doing. Now, there are many key factors that make a church healthy, and a clear mission, a clear vision, is one of them. And so the church needs to have a clear mission and vision. Otherwise, all the ministry will just lead to confusion. So this morning, I would like to draw the the message from the book of Nehemiah, from chapter one to chapter six, to see how Nehemiah constructs his mission and vision, and how he deal with a lot of problem problems in his own context, and what does God expect the church to do. So first of all, God called the church to a visionary mission. Now, what is mission and what is vision? And sometimes we tend to synonymously use the terms of vision and mission. We assume that they are the same meaning; they have the same meaning. But there is still a difference between mission and vision. So let me just briefly explain. The difference between mission and vision. A vision, a mission, is what God has called the church to do. And a mission is how the church accomplishes that mission. So we can use the favorite and the most famous Great Commission. We can draw the message from the、uh, Matthew nineteen verses,、uh, Matthew twenty-eight verses nineteen to twenty as the example. Jesus gave the mission to his disciple by saying that you got to make disciples of all nations. But how? How should the church and how should his disciple make disciples of all nations? And later of that text, Jesus says that you gotta baptize name in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and also teaching them to observe all the teachings of Christ. So the mission of the church is to be decide is discipleship. To achieve that mission, the disciple must construct a vision from the Bible that is consistent with that mission. So at this point, at this portion, the Great Commission has tells us that Jesus gave us a mission and also a vision to complete to fulfill that mission. But how can the church of today build the mission and the vision? How can we see from the Bible and especially in the portion of Nehemiah to construct mission and vision? So Nehemiah chapter one verses one to three clearly states that. The word of the Nehemiah's the son Hekeliah. Now it, it happened in the month of Chislev, in the twentieth years, as I was in Susa, the citadel, that Hanani, one of my brothers, came with certain men from Judah, and I asked them concerning the Jews who escaped, who had survived the exile, and concerning Jerusalem, and they said to me, the remnant there is. In province, who had survived the exile, is in great trouble and shame. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates are destroyed by fire. So, first of all, Nehemiah construct his mission and vision from the needs of that situation. He draws his mission and vision from a certain needs from his context. His mission was to rebuild the walls and the gates of Jerusalem. But why? 
Why did the Jews and why did Nehemiah want them to build the walls and the gates? Because he knew that the remnant right there survived there was suffering the great trouble and shame. The wall is broken down and its gates are destroyed by fire. Now the gates and the wall are very important for the Jews because without the wall, they were always kept invaded by the enemies. And because without the wall and the gates, the enemies, the people right there will always insult because you think that your God will help you, but look at your wall, look at your country. Your God will not help you. They were all living in trouble and they were always being insulted. They were living in defenseless state, in danger and humiliation. So try to picture that your house right now are without the walls and the gates. Your house cannot protect you from the rain, from the scorching suns. Would you still want to live in this house? And I bet you don't want to even buy this house and live in this house. But again, picture that if your house is without a door, anyone can just come into your house, take whatever they want, and they go. And you will be living in danger, defenseless state. Will such a home really be safe? So Nehemiah saw the importance of the walls and the gates of the city to this fellow Jewish people. And he also saw the humiliation, the shame they experienced by, because of this destruction of the walls and the gates. So Nehemiah clearly drew the vision and the mission from the needs, from the problems, from the experience among these fellow Jews, which is to build the wall and the gates of the city. But please take note that Nehemiah, he did not carry out his mission in a sloppy manner. He was not overwhelmed by the sudden rush of passion and just got into that mission and vision suddenly without any planning. And as we have read just now from the portion of chapter 1, Nehemiah seek God first. In any ministry we begun, we must come to God first. But not only that, Nehemiah, he also draw another attention. He used another way. He went out to the, at night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. He inspect the walls of Jerusalem. And again, he went out in night by the valley and also inspected the walls. So Nehemiah, he doesn't just seek God in the first place, but he also see clearly knows what is the real problem in that wall and in the gates. He had to understand and observe the degree of damage of the walls and the gates so that he can arrange people to certain and different places to construct, to renovate the pace. So Nehemiah began by seeing a need in the situation. And then he examined and studied the needs. So the church must address a specific need and study and discuss that specific need and construct a mission and a vision from that needs. So as we think about the mission and the vision of the church, we should think about our role in the world and in society around us. We can't just say that we are the people. We're the church that's, that is set apart from the world. We are the soul and light. 
we are the church, we are the Christians, and we want to do evangelism. And I think that's a good start. But we also must think how our church can be a witness, how our church can meet the specific needs to the people around us. Who are we? Where do we fit in? FMC is a city church, and FMC is located in neighborhood. So what should we think about this? What is the difference between city church, ruler church, and a community church? And what are the needs and the history around of this area and the needs of this area? So many people are very passionate about evangelism, which is very good. But unfortunately, many of the missions are unplanned and lack a clear vision. Churches are built and missions, ministries are approved. And in the end, we find that not many people are really committed into this mission and church. In the end, we find that people just get attached to this mission. But at the end of the day, I just want to do my own stuff. So if we want to run a ministry, if we want to plan a church without a good biblical and theological foundation, without a good administrative skills, without a group of committed people, with a mission-minded people, and without knowing exactly the needs of that place, and we have to set all this mission and vision aside. Because that will just be a wasting of time. We might just end up flattering ourselves about how well are we, we are doing, but it's just short-lived, vain attempt. Now, that's the fact that the pastors, the church leaders must confront and explore. So the church, first of all, must be aware of the needs of the time and the community and know exactly how to build a clear mission and vision from that specific need. But on the one hand, we must also know that the ways, the ways and the, the means was, were used at the 16, 17, 18, 19 centuries, 20 years ago, might not appropriate today because most of us were not living in that century at that time. We can look back and compare the mission, the vision between us, and we can know what things should we inherit in this generations? And what, was, what is the other thing that we should renovate, that we should reconstruct according to the current needs? The mission of the church has been always the same, but the way we communicate our faith and carry out the ministry must change in response to the times. We don't just want people's lives to be changed, but we also want the paradigms to be changed as well. Now, a few years ago, I was involved in the fellowship, and I didn't know anything, anything about that history of that fellowship. And after one of the election meetings, I was talking with my fellow members. But soon after, one of the candidates in that election meeting called me and the other of my brothers to join for the sub-election for that fellowship. 
Now, it was because two of the candidates in that meeting suddenly quit. They didn't want to be involved in this fellowship. So we were the reserve of the fellowship. So we ought to fill that seat. Now, as I said, I didn't really know the history, the needs of that fellowship in the first place. Now, once we sat down and we got into that room, the atmosphere was just so tense and we knew that something's wrong in this meeting. Now, once we sat down, we sat for about an hour and the whole hour of the election stuck to elect just one chairperson. Obviously, we knew something was wrong. And what surprised me even more was that the advisors at the front who count the vote will always encourage the candidates around us to choose who to choose, who to pick for the next chairperson for this fellowship. And obviously, something's wrong in this fellowship. And it was a very torturous night for me and my this brother. The election failed and had to be rescheduled. So later on, one of the unbiased members took us out afterward to find out, to tell us what was going on in this fellowship. And it turns out that the fellowship was very divided. And both sides were at odds, were at fights at, at each other most of the times. And this brother and I, we have no idea what to do, so we just listened and we went back. On the next election, surprisingly, shockingly, this brother and I, we were elected as a chairperson and a vice chairperson. We were stung. We were shocked that we were suddenly to be called the candidates of that meeting, to be the leaders of the fellowship. But we have never thought that we will be elected as a chairperson and as a vice chairperson. But thank God we knew what's happening in this church so we can build and reconstruct, re-renovate some things in this fellowship. We build a vision together to strengthen the relationship by pushing small group, using the family as a mission and a vision to go on the plan of this fellowship. So at the end of the day, that plan endorsed by the leaders and small group members but you might question, did that process go well? Of course not. We've got a lot of stumbling blocks. We fall, we fail some of the times. But what was the outcome? And I can confidently say that we see some people slowly change. Relationship builds, ministry smoothly going on in the future. God himself restored our lives. God himself renovates and builds our relationship himself. So FMC Church, what needs do you see in your community, in the church? For about two years of COVID-19 pandemic and seeing the problems of the families, what is the mission and the vision that you should construct now, that you should develop immediately? And Nehemiah gave us a very clear way and very good example God wants us and wants you to see a specific need and then seek God with one mind together and build out that one vision and one mission for the church. 
Now Nehemiah could not carry out his mission of building the ten, building this wall and the gates all alone. He needed a group of people to reconstruct the wall to fulfill this mission. He needs to come with a clear vision as well. So God did not just let Nehemiah alone receive this mission and vision, but He granted all of the Jewish people to receive to grasp the same vision and mission. So let's look at chapter two, verses five to six. And Nehemiah said to the king, "If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's graves, that I may rebuild them." And the king said to me, "How long will you be gone, and when will you return?" So it pleased the king to send me when it had given him a time. And verses seventeen to seven and eighteen, the knight said to them, "You see the troubles we're in. How Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem, that we may no longer suffer derision." And I told them of the land hand of my God that had been upon me for good, and also of the words that the king had spoken to me. And they said, "Let us rise up and build." So they strengthened their hands for the good work. The king approved, and the Jews they all committed into this reconstructions. The question that throws throws to us is, how do we know today that certain mission and mission and vision are the will of God? How do we know what we do is the will of God? So as we reflect back the experience of the king and of the people of Jews, we can say with faith that in general, the evidence that God allows us to do to run some particular ministry comes from the affirmation of the church. So God uses the affirmation of the church as a seal to advance mission and vision. The affirmation of the church leaders, the pastors, the co-workers, brothers and sisters, is the confirmation of God to the church, and that's a wonderful thing. When the church returns to the Bible and develops its mission and vision in accord with the will of God, the Holy Spirit will work amongst us to receive the same vision and mission, and that we can be in one mind and united in the gospel ministry. But let's also be aware that we can carry out the mission and vision alone. It requires a commitment of all. Can Nehemiah alone succeed? Of course, no. Can the Jews alone carry out the construction work? Of course, no. They could not see the real problems and the real issues without a coach, without Nehemiah. It's like a it's like a football team. If there's no the coach, not even a coach in on the team, the players would not be able to see to sense the real problems in the court. And if a football team is without a football players. At what use would we want to have a coach in that team? So, mission and vision 
cannot be accomplished alone, but the church must commit wholeheartedly. Now, suppose everyone at FMC agrees the mission and the vision of the church, but is unable to focus on the one thing because of the other ministries or the other thing. Can this mission and can this vision be accomplished? Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that you need to completely draw and remove from childcare your job, your daily, your work responsibilities, your day-to-day business. Leave them alone. But the question we want to ask is: Can we commit just to one ministries, just to one service, even though we are in a different position in ministries? If you have a Bible along with you, if you turn to Nehemiah chapter three, you will see that many families, different families, were assigned to build the wall in different sections. Each one of them built different sections. Some were responsible for this gate, and some were responsible for the other gates. Different families working in different positions, but the goal was indeed same and clear. They want to build this wall and gate. Now it's impossible for the family to complete the whole work. Many times we do commit ourselves to the ministry, but I find that in ministry, one person is responsible for so many things, and that's why people can hardly commit into just that one ministry. He is the pastor. He is the lay leader. He is the small group leader. He is the chairperson of LCEC. He is the Sunday school principal. He is involved in the care team. And not to mention family and work responsibility, he is almost busier than a politician. And we and I don't want one person to do all the work. Rather, we assign different people to serve in different positions according to their gifts and abilities. Different ways to accomplish just one mission and vision. So when a church proclaims a vision, it's not enough just to say that how we do it. And the church also must actively, specifically invite brothers and sisters to participate in different ministries. If you're passionate about family ministries, leadership, teaching, hospitality, or the other ministry, then commit yourself to that just one ministry. Do it well. Commit to it. Make it your best. It's not about you yourself alone carrying along and tons of ministry, but whether you alone can commit just to that one ministry. Can I commit to one ministry? Can I commit myself and join the small group wholeheartedly? And a healthy church is not a church that works alone. Or a person acts like a hero to grab all the tasks, but a true healthy church is a church that always work together in different position, in different ministries, but we strive on that one mission and vision. But even with the permission of the king and the total commitment of the Jews, would God's vision for Nehemiah being smooth? And the answer, of course, is no. 
Nehemiah and Jews both encountered the obstacles and disturbances. At least in these six chapters, in these portions, we can see at least two obstacles. And the first is the destructions of the enemies, and the other one is the internal issue. The destruction of the enemies. The enemies of Sambalat, Tobiah, and Geshem, they all conspired to stop and destroy the constructions. And we have no idea why they were not satisfied with the renovation and reconstructions. We have no idea. But they just want to stop them. They felt really angered about these reconstructions and they want to kill the Jews. And the next thing is the internal issue. And Nehemiah said that I was very angry when I heard their outcry and these were. I took counsel with myself and I bought, brought charges against the nobles and the officials. I said to them, You are exacting interest each from his brother. And I held a great assembly against them. Now, as we have just heard, the unifying force we have just seen between Nehemiah and the Mount of Jews, they all would just strive into this rebuilding, reconstruction of the gates and the wall. But now there is the internal problems among the Jews, complaints among the Jews. Some Jews were struggling for food. Some Jews were struggling to maintain their own assets because of the famine. And some of them are unable to pay taxes. So the nobles and the officials among the Jews in the community they were taking advantage of the current affair for their own financial and benefits gain. So Nehemiah rebuilt these nobles for betraying their own fellow Jews and told them to repent. And that's the two things we will encounter when the church, when every one of us strive and commit just to one mission and vision, the destruction of the enemies and the internal issues we're going to deal with that issues but the question is who is the enemy when the church returns to the bible and we are mobilized to carry out the mission our enemy is not men and paul makes it so clear in his book ephesians chapter 6 11 and 12 Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. And our real enemy is Satan, is evil spirit. But let's be honest. We got to be clear, many of us fall into the devil's tricks. And sometimes people are making false claims in the name of Jesus for the glory of God, but we don't know that. We don't realize that the damage has been made among the community. In the year of 2020, there was a story, there was a news struck the whole America. At first, the news reported two children were missing. One seven-year-old and the other one 16 years old. The police couldn't find them. The grandpa, the grandpa of these two kids and the brother of these two kids also couldn't find them. 
but the story came to light and shocked the entire America. The mother of these two children is a Mormon believer, and later on he met a man. But this man, he designed a software to test whether a person has an evil spirit. If your test, if you have an evil spirit and tested in this software system, you will be called zombies. So these men, these people who are called zombie, they are to be killed immediately because they are possessed with the evil spirit in them. So sadly, this mother's two children would test in the software the evil spirit and they were called zombies. So what to do? For the glory of God, for the reward of my Savior, kill them and bury them. Now that's a very terrible thing. She thought she was doing it all for the sake of God, for the glory of the Savior, but she didn't know that she had fallen into the plan of this devil now, perhaps this will not happen in our church, and I hope that it will not happen. But are we also falling into the devil's tricks with all of the rivalries, power games, rumors, divisions? Are we also following the devil's example by following his selfish desire, stealing, killing, destroying as he did in the beginning? lying as he did in the beginning, not keeping the truth as he did in the beginning. Do you see, the devil can tease us apart with different ways. So my brothers and sisters, see through the devil's strategy immediately. Do not let him succeed and do not fall into devil's tricks. And on the one hand, we need to reflect on just one question. Do my work, do what I say, what I do, and what I think is bringing harm and damages to the small group and the church? And if so, you need and you must repent. Come to God and repent. Receive His mercy. Don't be deceived by the devils again. The devil has a lot of strategies. His plots are everywhere. So what can we do? Based on the experience of the reconstructions among the Jews, we can summarize at least two things. We need to work and defend. The Jews were on high alert when they knew that the enemies will destroy and disturb their reconstructions. They were working while holding their swords, the shield, the bows, the armors. Some even carries trumpets. If there's enemy attacking, they will blow the trumpet and the other people from the other side of the wall will join them and def defend these attacks. So the church ought to need to, to do the same thing. We need to work and defend. As the church carries out the plan, we must not only be mindful of how this ministry is to be carried out, what is the way that we need to bring out, but we must also be aware 
that we need to take out our weapons to defend for ourselves against Satan. So FMC, take up your weapons to defense. Your weapons is the word of God, and your weapons is prayer. Defend your church. Defend your family. Defend your family in Christ. Shield them from the devil's rockets. Pray for them. Be with them. Counsel them and plot them from the strategies and the plots of the devil. That's what you and I need to do. Defend for yourself and defend for your family and the family in Christ. So we see, though through the affirmation of the church as a seal, God enables and confirms the church that certain ministry can be run. For this reason, we all need to be actively involved in expanding God's kingdom according to His will. But on one hand, let us not forget that to defend for the church, defend for yourself. But what is the outcome if we run the ministry? We run in one pace, in the pace of God's vision and His mission. God helps the church. God will help His church to fulfill His mission and vision, and that's a sure promise. Look at this. So the war was finished on the twenty-fifth day of the month Elul, in fifty-two days. When all of our enemies heard of it, all the nations around us were afraid and feel and fell greatly in their own esteem, for they perceived that this work had been accomplished with the help of our God. Unbelievable! The project was completed in just fifty-two days. What can we use to explain such a speedy project reconstruction? Was it possible to build it with no excavators, no drilling machines, no cranes, and all by hand just in fifty-two days? And how could the Jews and Nehemiah completed the reconstruction so quickly while so many enemies attacking them? It was because Nehemiah clearly saw that it was with the help of our Lord, of our God. Only the providence of God could explain the speedy reconstruction, and only the protection of God made the enemy seeing the majesty and the glorious work of God, so that they dare not to say anything anymore. So, do you see, brothers and sisters, church? If the church looks to God with one heart in her mission and in vision. God will keep and protect His church according to His will. And do you see, from the beginning to the end, is the work of God. First of all, God led Nehemiah to perceive, to know the exact needs in his context. God provides a bunch of people for them, and God protect them all these ways. It's the same thing to the church. God has given the church a specific context from which to build her own mission and vision. And as we all know, God also has given us a bunch of people. 
to build this mission and vision. And last but not the least, God is actively keeping and protecting the church in the, the mission, visionary mission. From the beginning to the end, it's all the work of God. So we might just want to ask the other questions. What does the church need to do next? And I'm sure that we all know the needs and we have seen the needs. We know we have a group of people and I believe that every one of us, we all believe the providence and the protection of God. So what are we to do right now? In the next two chapters, Nehemiah gave us another three ways again. And I'm just going to simplify these three ways in three words. First is recall. And the second is repent. And last is restore. So look back, reflect, recall on what we have done in the past, whether good or bad. If it's good, we pass it down. If we did something that is not in line with the will and with the word of God, we need to repent. If it's not please, pleasing to God, we need to repent. And meanwhile, in repentance, we need to restore the way that God has revealed to us in the Bible. Restore it. Now, if the mission is God's plan for the church in this community and in this generation, then the vision is how the church is to carry out that mission. At least one question that we need to ponder is, what is the purpose of the church? And what is the church? The church must first know her own position, her role in this community. And then we need to ask ourselves, if it pleases God, what do we want to see the ministries, the vision, the mission in this church? What do we want the church to be? We can develop a mission in different ways. For the next 3, 5, 10, 20, 20 years, and the next generations, what do we want to see in this church? As I've said, we can develop different needs, different ministry according to different needs. It can be among our congregations. It can be based on our community, our society. It may be referring from the other churches, what ministry are they doing? But let's be clear, unless pastors share the vision and the leaders strengthen and expand the vision and mission, or else the church will always be in confusion. We don't know what to do. So the pastor is a very key person in developing the vision. He's not the, the key person who develops the key vision, but also shares the vision and mission to the whole congregation. So all of us, we can know exactly what is the goal in this church and how can we involve in this mission and vision. So FMC Church, rise up. Build the mission and vision in the way that please God 
in a way that has been revealed in the Bible. Let the church be restored to His pleasing way and let the church be moved to the glory of God to see the needs and construct the needs and construct the mission and vision from that needs and all of us move together. And that's what, the, that's what God wants the church to do in this generation, in this society. And let's all come to the Lord and pray together. Father, through the age and age, age to age, time to time, you have given all of us, the church, to see the needs and what the church should do in this generation. So Father, I pray the church would rise up to see the need and commit wholeheartedly, commit wholeheartedly to work together and to defend for our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and also our biological family and also ourselves. So Father, please lead the church to construct a clear mission and a clear vision. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.